Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I am Jack Fowler, the host the star, the namesake is Victor Davis Hanson, and he is the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. You know, Victor is also a military historian. I think some of you might know that. And I hope we have time at the end of the show uh, to talk about Yalta, because February 11th is the anniversary of the last day of that conference that was one of the major conferences at the end of World War II. Get Victor's thoughts on that. Victor, this week saw Joe Biden give a State of the Union speech, and we're going to get your thoughts on that and plenty more stuff right after these important messages. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We're back with the... Victor Davis Hanson show. So, Victor, um, I, I know you spoke with Sammy on the podcast you recorded, uh, I think, earlier today or yesterday. I didn't get a chance to listen yet. I know you spoke a little about the State of the Union, but I'd like to get your further thoughts on anything you might want to say about it. I, I do want to note that you wrote for for your website, VictorHanson.com. Well, actually, I think it's your syndicated column yeah. uh, was the, the the mess of an address uh, but, uh, you know, question that a number of people are talking about is decorum, decorum by Republicans. Kevin McCarthy asked for decorum and there where there was plenty of theatrics that went on uh, from both sides of the aisle. But, Victor, if you have any if you would like to address some of the criticisms of Republican decorum or was were they just and anything else you'd like to say yeah. about this State of the Union speech? Well, the decorum. I I mentioned that to Sammy, but since I've talked to her, there's been a lot of anger at the Republicans for, I think, Marjorie Taylor Greene yelled liar. And then they said, you're responsible when he talked about fentanyl. And we when that Joe Walsh did that years ago about liar to Obama when he lied about Obamacare, I guess, 
everybody was outraged at him, but what comes around goes around. Nemesis, payback, it's a bitch, whatever, karma, whatever term we want to use, because who destroyed the decorum of the house? Nancy Pelosi, when she tore up the State of the Union address, and she grimaced, and she scowled, and she shook her head in front of the cameras every time Trump said something. And so, and people on the the left side were booing and moving. So, I mean, that's where we are now. And that's part of a larger theme of once you destroy something, you destroy the institutional rules and protocols. Don't expect your opponents to restore them when it's to their advantage not to. So when they went in there and said that McCarthy, as a minority leader of the House, couldn't put people in a committee or that a committee could subpoena almost anybody and then send out a criminal referral so that they could be criminalized if they didn't show up on like Eric Holder, who just told uh, the House, screw you, I'm not showing up with the Fast and Furious controversy, uh, then it's going to come around and there's going to be more of that. So uh, that was I wasn't too upset about it. And Joe Biden should have ignored it. But he went and went into an exchange back and forth. And it just highlighted another problem. And is when he's on the teleprompter, he stutters, he sputters, he gets lost, he slurs. It's like he has a mixture of reflux and shortness of breath and too much saliva because what comes out is just mush. And you need a trans. He had one word that nobody to this day knows what it was in the speech. Yeah, it's so, like a collision of words. It uh, is. Uh, it's yeah. just it's it's just I mean, Kamala Harris can speak coherently, but in the sense of pronouncing words. But hers is just as incoherent, but incoherent in a different way. But between the All two right. of them, you can't they don't communicate in English language. <laughs> so that was. But when he gets off the teleprompter, he comes to life and his eyes get beady. He gets angry and he gets that in get off my grass octogenarian. I'm angry. And and he goes after the Republicans. And he had those moments in there when he would go off for a second. I predicted he would. And, you know, as I said earlier, and I think all of us realize he had three themes. And the first was to distort. And so you would have thought that if you came from Mars, nobody would have known he had 1.4 inflation when he came or interest rates were 2.7 on 30 year mortgages or we were self-sufficient or gasoline was 240 a gallon. And so what his theme was is, yeah, I screwed it all up, but it's not quite as screwed up as it was. So therefore, it's improving and that's great. And then the other thing is he just ignore ignore the border, ignore Afghanistan, ignore crime, ignore racial tensions. And then third is he slurs. Republicans are going to destroy Social Security and Medicare, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we need and then he hit that dead horse comprehensive immigration reform, which is just a euphemism for amnesty and no border. So it was pathetic. It had, I think, one of the lowest uh, audiences that they'd had in 20 years. Nobody wanted to listen to it. Nobody listens to him anymore, even in their own party, when you have somewhere around 60% plus that don't want him to run for president. And um, I guess it's 30, excuse me, I think it's 35% want him to run for president. 
And then 68% think the country's going in the wrong direction. His personal popularity or pro- approval rating, I should say, and Reuters on the eve of the speech was 41. And that's from the biased. All the polls are biased for the left. So he did his job, Jack. His job was to carry and disguise a left-wing agenda over the finish line. He did. He got elected. And then he made Dr. Jill the uh, doorkeeper. And she opened the doors. And then she said, Elizabeth, Warren, Bernie Sanders, squad, get over here and wait in line. Michelle and Barack, wait in line. Uh, Squad, wait in line. Big left-wing progressive tech donors, wait in line. And we'll adjudicate who gets first, but we're going to adopt your entire entire agenda. And then he said he was going to, and he followed it up with some more demagoguery after the speech. Tomorrow, Sunday is the Super Bowl, and it's been traditional that Whoever, whichever network is hosting the Super Bowl, then um, invites the president to give a a um, interview. Remember those? Uh, I think it was at least once or twice where Bill O'Reilly had a heated exchange with Barack Obama, who did pretty well. Mm-hmm. And Trump did it, and then he said no more on one occasion. I think to to CNN or NBC. I think NBC, but he did. He did most of it. He did that. He loved to talk, and he was willing to do it. So Biden said he would think about it, and then he said he would only give it to Black, I don't know what this is, Fox Soul. It's a streaming service that I guess Fox started, but has zero audience. So his idea was, well, I can't go on TV with a real interview. I've never given a real interview where the interviewer presses me on my lies. Right. So I have to find the way to square the circle. So I, I'll dream up this black new streaming service and say, I, I want to talk to underrepresented and marginalized people. And then when they say this is absurd because it has no audience, then I'll basically say they, they wouldn't let me talk to, to black people. And that's what they did. Uh, he's just, it's hard to believe he's the president. By the way, Victor, it's hard to believe John Fetterman is a sitting. It's very similar, uh, isn't it? They're analogous. They both serve the same role. uh, role. That is uh, Fetterman's job because he had been known in Pennsylvania and he had that get up down pretty well. The hoodie, the goatee, the tattoos, uh, the shaved head, the thug look, even though he was a upper, upper middle class, spoiled little guy who Right. Lived on handouts of his dad. Right. And he had this commie wife from Latin America. But, and he was impaired. He was non compost mentis. Anybody who saw that debate knew that he didn't know where he was. He couldn't talk. He couldn't answer. He couldn't process information. He was word searching and he was unfit. But that was, again, the left didn't care about that. They thought he is going to carry us over the finish line, just like Biden was unfit. Because they have a certain, I guess, I don't fall for it and you don't fall for it. But apparently that people do feel that they're working class, old Joe, aviator glasses, Biden from Scranton and Fetterman, who's kind of one of us that hangs out in a working town. Uh, he was a working class, working town mayor. It was all fake. So now right. he's there and he doesn't know where he is. He's in the, as I speak, he's in the hospital. He's had another incident stroke 
they say that he now the left says, guess what? He's not capable. Remember that NBC reporter who said, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Remember, she said, yeah, they vilified her before the, the the formal interview. They said, I talked to him. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, now they all say she didn't know what she was talking about because he fulfilled the need. They got that seat. Right. And the only thing they're worried about now is he physically cannot walk into the Capitol and vote, which you have to do. And so if he's not able to do that, he's of no value to them. So what they're doing now is saying, oh, my God, this guy is physically, mentally unfit. And we don't. And then the subject is we don't want this guy to cling to that seat and stay right. home in bed. So we better get rid of him. So we'll just start leaking and saying, you know what, the, he should resign and the governor should appoint somebody. And we'll get yeah, I seat. saw some story. He's uh, just a headline. He's hearing voices. Yeah, he's like, hearing, and, uh, yeah they, they, they're, they're doing everything they can to let us know that he's non-complement. Just like Joe Biden, they're starting to now report that Joe Biden is, you know, in outer space because he's done his job. And. They don't really need Joe Biden to embarrass him. And they, he's failing geometrically each day, his cognitive powers. And just like Fetterman, it's very ironic because they trashed Kevin uh, McCarthy with George Santos because they said, oh, he's just there for a vote. Yes, that's exactly right. He's right. a pathological liar. Yes, he is. He's a pathological liar among liars. He's a little bit more egregious, but they're all liars. And, Oh, yeah. not a, he, he lies about his bio. Adam Schiff lies about existential problems and issues that affect all of us. Right. But anyway, he's more of a risk to the nation. Yeah, he Adam is Schiff much, George a much more danger. But anyway, um, so that's what, you know, it's, it's just striking that the left says you can't use George Santos as a vote in a tight house because. He's a liar, but we're going to use Fetterman, who doesn't even know where he is in bed, uh, because we needed that vote. And now that we don't have that vote, we need another guy to take his place. And just like Joe Biden, we needed a guy that we knew was unfit. And now that he's did his job and he's unfit, he, he should be leaked away, too. And they're leaking about both of them. Hey, Victor, let's. Um, we're going to end up talking soon about. A certain little short man who reigned over this country's uh, health and mental breakdown for a couple of years. Rhymes with Schmoney Schmouchy. We'll talk about him soon. But before we get there, I think we should just do one more political uh, thing. Let's go to the other side of the aisle. And this past week, earlier in the week, um, this has to do with Donald Trump and Governor DeSantis and on, on his uh, social media platform, Trump put out some attack on DeSantis picture of him from I think it was must have been college. Looked like there was drinking going looked like DeSantis looked like there was drinking going on. A couple of girls and an implicate by Trump said something to the effect of he was grooming these women and grooming now means, you know, preparing them to to be uh, sexual toys of some sort. Um, I don't know. I just thought it was talk about decorum. <laughs> this is a yeah, presidential it's... level of decorum. And DeSantis didn't, as far as I know, he didn't respond. So any any thoughts about this latest uh, antic in Trump v. DeSantis? 
I don't understand it. I understand that he's a rival to Trump, but I don't understand what, if any, the advice of his of his circle is, because not in all, but in most polls, Trump is polling ahead of DeSantis. And we know that from the 2016 election that Trump never got a majority of the primary votes. He got, I don't know, 20 to 20, 25 to 30 percent. And he won because the anti-Trump vote, which in theory, if it had solidified behind one candidate, would have been greater than Trump. But when you had Rubio and then later Kasich and you had Christie and that whole bunch of them, Farina, all of them, you know, uh, they split the vote. So that's a winning paradigm for Trump. So what he should be doing is praising all of them and saying, wow, Nikki Haley. And he did. You can see how he was. He treated Nikki Haley very differently. He said, yeah, I think you should run. That's a good idea. No problem. Run. And I think he'll say the same thing to Pompeo. And he should do it. He should get eight. If he wants to win, he can get seven or eight candidates in there. And then DeSantis will come in second and they will dilute the anti-Trump vote. But this doesn't make any sense to go after personally after a guy who was overwhelmingly reelected in this model state of conservatism. And then to dig up something when he's like a 22 year old and grooming that he didn't look any older than the women in the picture. They might have been 18 and they've come back out and said they were not underage. They didn't do anything improper. And, you know, he's he's talking about disloyalty. I think this morning he's after Charlie Kirk, isn't he? And Turning Point, he's after them and said, I saw. Yeah, yeah. 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 That they're not loyal anymore. And the problem is that if you define loyalty, that that gives you a blank check of support. You earn loyalty by not screwing up. And so there's two ways of defining that. So in Trump's way, whatever the reason is, if you believe Trump or you can see that there were irregularities in the election, then it was incumbent upon him in March and April to send out legal teams to stop that right kind of conspiracy that Molly Ball outlined in time, how they, they warped the election laws. But nevertheless, he lost the 2020 and they did not do well in the 2022 midterms. So if somebody else says we should have done better, given the dismal record of Joe Biden, and I'm going to make the allegation that it was Trump candidates that didn't do well, that's debatable. But there's some cogency to that. Or then, you're the leader of the party. So exactly. You're some, the leader yeah. of the party. So then you should expect people to run, especially that there's a hiatus. You're, if he was running, I guess what I'm saying is, Jack, if he says that these people aren't loyal, why did why didn't they if they were disloyal, why didn't they run in 2020? None of them did. Everybody coalesced around Donald Trump. Pompeo was in the administration. DeSantis did. He had no he had no defections whatsoever. They were all loyal right. to him. Right. And he got his two shots. And most people get two shots unless you're William Jennings Bryan. And she, Grover Cleveland, right? Yeah, Grover Cleveland was elected, and he was elected twice with a hiatus in between. Right. So he has his, he has everybody has a perfect right to run. That's what everybody wants. They want to look at the DeSantis is doing very well, and we want to see whether how he does in the debate stage, how he raises money, how he right. 
Same thing with Pompeo, same thing with Haley, same thing with Nome, same thing with all of them. Yeah. But you don't he have a right to say you're disloyal just because they want to run when you haven't been president for four years. Yeah. Also kind of defies a little the, you know, the the scholarly or academic aspect of what our country is. You know, you are representative of the people, the consent of the governed. Remember when Scott Brown won that special election in Massachusetts? The great event that um, a a turning point there was a debate where David Gergen asked him, something about the Kennedy seat and Scott Brown shot back at him. I'm, this isn't the Kennedy seat. This is the people's seat. And so the presumption of, of a elected official that somehow or other this ownership of the position, I mean, it's only, I guess it's natural, but it, it does fly in the face of, of our yeah, constitution. I, yeah. I think it's hurting him. It's hurting Trump. And if he continues this and he had a kind of a good run because he had done some, Self, he had committed some self-inflicted mistakes that you and I talked about, and everybody knows them. You know the attack on Mitch McConnell's Chinese wife on basis of her ethnic background, on Youngkin's name, on overturning the election, on Rhonda Santimonious. At some point, somebody said to him, or he said to himself, "Stop and start issuing campaign videos or info vid- like Reagan did." And Reagan, as you remember from 1976, when he was defeated by Ford for the nomination, he went out and, uh, you know, Ford, I I don't know if anybody said that, that Reagan was disloyal for running against Ford, who was an incumbent. He was an incumbent. Right. That, and he and I don't think they did. But they, nevertheless, Reagan got the impression that they had said he was a lightweight on foreign policy or he was dangerous. So he really worked hard. He he issued videos and op-eds and to show, to bulk up his foreign policy fee days and things like that. Right. And that's what Trump was doing. He was issuing these little video, videos on energy the other day and the border. And he should just keep doing that. And instead, he's going after DeSantis. And he should, if he really wants DeSantis to lose, he he should encourage as many people to run as possible right. so that he's not head to head with one candidate. Interesting, Victor. DeSantis not take that's called debate. Maybe maybe Trump thinks that or his advisors. He's not taking it, but he is attacking Disney. And he's, you know, for and he's attacking Disney also at a time when they're putting out this. Did you see the news about that crazy cartoon? Yes. That, 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 I, I mean, yeah. I think people forget that that Bob Iger was brought in to correct the $5.5 billion loss and was it 7,000 uh-huh. employees, but people don't know Bob Iger. He was the architect before he stepped down of political correctness. He was giving speeches about transgenderism and all that. So it's going to be very hard for him right. to look in the mirror and say, I was the godfather of the ruin of Disney. He's there as a right. the fireman. They're not going to if they and they have you know those cartoons about uh, wasn't one of them uh, a child's cartoon saying that Lincoln didn't free the slaves. Right. It was about the 1619 project. Yeah, that's, uh, the proud family, I think it's called. And the problem with all of this is the left. So the left doesn't understand that. Yes, 
if you're going to play the race card, it can appeal in theory to 30% of Americans that didn't identify as non-white and maybe another 20% who were bicoastal elites. But there's still 50% of the country that don't like being called racist. And if you are heterosexual bigots or sexist or homophobes, and you keep doing it and doing it and doing it, and they will react. And they're reacting. Um if I my kids were small again, I'd never go to Disney again. I would never go. Why would I go there and give them the money when they're, what they're trying to do right. to alter the the whole mentalities of a generation of young people? Yeah. And the fact that it was the brainchild of one of the most conservative people in Hollywood, Walt Disney is even oh. adding insult to injury. I, know yeah, I think I think he was actually a, sort of left wing, but so what? Yeah, but as I, say, I think he was a donor to National Review. Even uh, Walt Disney was, and he was a, a hardcore conservative. And uh, to think that companies come, come from you know Fess Parker and Davy Crockett or uh, you know yeah, Daniel I'll, Boone yeah. to to absolutely to the Proud was, family is nuts. And you know they banned the Song of the South and Uncle Remus. Okay, we get that, but. They, they just keep pushing, pushing, pushing. And it's like it starts out with the people they're pushing against are kind of live and let live. I didn't know that. OK, yeah, we can see that. And then they just say, no, no, you have to accept me as superior to you or in the trans. This is normative if you don't. And they go after the cake guy in Colorado and they just keep pushing. And at some point. It's going to go the CNN route. So when you've lost $5.5 and you've lost this concession that DeSantis yanked from, which he should have earlier, but give him credit. He was the only one that guts to do it. Other governors should have done it. They had a private fiefdom on government property, basically, or government-controlled areas. And uh, this is the beginning of it. The people are going to get angry let them you know i just say let them go do that i think that's what we should all do we should just say you want to go woke you go woke oh yeah but we're going to do the same thing you do to us so we're going to boycott you and we're going to inform people that you are bigots and racist because they are they're preaching racial hatred and bigotry and stereotypes and you you do it you do your worst, we'll do our best, and may the best person win. That's my attitude now. And I think I like people, that attitude. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> go woke, Let, go broke. That's go my woke, go woke. But people <laughs> should not go to Disney and subsidize what they're doing. And that's yeah. sad because it, it was a great brand and it played such a positive role uh, in the United States culture and history. And yet they've taken that institution that they did not build and they did not have the talent to continue and they aborted it they there was something like some virus that went in and altered the rna or something yeah. and, and uh they they deserve the consequence like cnn keep doing it keep putting don lemon meltdowns on tv we'd love it just yeah. make, make him the, the anchor of everything get joy reed on msnbc and there too get joy bay and we're just going to not have anything to do with you and I hope that that half the country will will send them a message because their revenues are not based on their um, ideological constituencies alone. It's based on diluting or ignoring or not being transparent with most of the people who are apolitical. Right. But you keep pushing and you, you'll finally make political people who are innately apolitical.
Well, Victor, um, we're going to get to a couple of the topics, but, you know, once upon a time when this podcast started, I used to do live reads of ads and guess what, Victor? I'm going to do one right now. Okay. <laughs> Is it possible to extend lifespan and feel younger at the same time? According to a Harvard scientist and Nobel prize winning breakthrough. Absolutely. How? By lengthening your telomeres. Your telomeres protect your DNA and play a critical role in the aging process. By the way, Victor, you know, I ain't, I'm no bi biologist. I looked this up. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> they're telomeres and they're vital. Um, you know, uh, many people, many of us struggle with shortening telomeres. Why? Because of stress, unhealthy food, obesity, and more, Joe Biden, maybe. <laughs> That's why I recommend Youth Switch. Youth Switch is all natural, doctor approved, and manufactured right here in America. Youth Switch contains a potent blend of adaptogens that promote healthier telomeres and longer lifespans. It boosts energy and can support regeneration of healthy organ systems. You can try Youth Switch for yourself risk-free today. And when you do that, you'll receive a free bottle of Ageless Brain as a bonus. By the way, I take that. I hope it's working. I think it is. Yes. It's a great it's a great product to help improve uh, focus, memory, and mood. You'll also receive four bonus ebooks to boost every aspect of your health and longevity. How do you do all this? Well, you, you go to youthswitchmd.com slash just news to claim your supply of youth switch and all five bonus gift, gifts. That's youthswitchmd.com slash just news to order Youth Switch today. And we thank you, Youth Switch, for sponsoring the Victor Davis Hansen Show. Uh, that reminds me, Victor, said Just News that this podcast's uh, home on the internet is uh, uh, John Solomon's website, Just the News. We encourage our listeners to visit, uh, visit there. Also encourage our listeners to visit victorhansen.com. Why? Because that's Victor's happy home on the Internet. And there's a lot of material there that is exclusive. You think if you've read everything that Victor has written? Well, unless you have a subscription to VictorHanson.com, that's not the case. It's $5 to try it out, $50 for, for a year. Uh, right now, this week, two new pieces that Victor's uh, written that are up there. One is called Balloonology. We're not going to talk about balloons on this episode, but you want to get Victor's full thoughts on all this madness, you check that out. Also, a piece on uh, uh, Jill Biden uh, called uh, Our Edith Wilson. Those are ultra articles. They're exclusive to victorhanson.com. So check that out, um, please. And uh, just a, a little a little tip of the hat to some of our friends on Facebook. The Victor Davis Hanson Fan Club is a place where you can find many links and thoughts of uh, about uh, Victor. There's, a, I think, about 60,000 um, followers on that club. It's pretty sizable. So thank you very much. So, Victor, before the uh, we started recording, you mentioned you wanted to talk about uh, – uh, Anthony Fauci and Alex Berenson, the uh, former New York Times reporter, the guy that for the last few years has been one of the ace writers about this uh, the COVID, its sources, its consequences, everything. Of course, he's been 
um, heavily derided and attacked by the left over the last few years. But he's he's got a piece today. You've read it. I haven't, but I, I saw a headline about it where Anthony Fauci essentially admits, uh, yeah, um, the, the, the um, he, he admits that the vaccinations <laughs> were not what he said they were. Right. He said, remember, he's quoted that they were ironclad protections up against both, 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 both infectiousness and being infected. And now he's suggesting that's not true whatsoever. We know it's not true because he had two of the Pfizer's and then he had one booster and he had two boosters and he had the the bivalent booster. He's had five shots and he got COVID, I think maybe once, if not twice. And so that was not that wasn't true. And so what Berenson was saying in this article was he's just come out with a co-authored article and he's trying to revert to his scientific mode. Remember, I am the science in a so I guess it's a peer reviewed article. But what he's saying is that the body uh, with a I don't want to call them minor because they can kill you, but flus, coronaviruses, colds doesn't employ the full array of the immune system because it shuts you down and can, can kill you, as we know from, from COVID. If your immune system goes crazy, it killed people. You get the cyclotine storm. So the, to protect against that, it only uses it in particular cases. And therefore, uh, when you make a vaccination that emulates these viruses, it, it doesn't create a full immune response. And therefore, you need to either take them every year or you need every other year or whatever. And they thought they could fool the body into thinking that this coronavirus, COVID-19 virus, the SARS virus, was in the category of smallpox or measles or mumps, where a vaccination would be nearly lifelong by flooding it with these spike proteins and then the, that were pretty clear to the virus. In other words, making your body produce spike proteins. And then the immune system would get really crazy, even though there was not an existential threat as much as, you know, say measles, but then you would get permanent immunity. And now he's saying, you know what? That just doesn't work. That theory did not work. It did not work. And Berenson puts the subtext is, yeah, it didn't work. And we told you it didn't work. And you deprecated natural immunity, which now you say is superior. And in other words, if you're in the flu season, Jack, and you get the flu really bad, you're going to have a better chance not to get it. Not that you won't, but you'll have a better chance not to get a second case than if you get a flu vaccination and get a first case, right? So if you're vaccinated for the flu, you have probably a 50% chance or, of getting the flu. If you've had a really bad case of the flu, you might only have 20% chance of getting it again. I'm not a doctor, but I'm just trying to reflect what I've read. And so that was basically what Fauci admitted to, that right. we, were, we were not able to fool the immune system to consider this SARS virus as if it could uh, it was an existential threat that would give you lifelong immunity. Right. And we created this. And then by inference, Berenson said, yes, but it's you're only 
when you say it's a failed vaccination, it's not just a failed vaccination like a flu vaccination and a typical vaccination that takes a live virus and kills it or weakening it weakens it by formaldehyde or something, poisons it, kills it, then gives it skeleton or weakened version to the body to to get some information about and experience with. This this was genetic engineering where you went into the RNA, messenger RNA, and you tried to create it to produce something that usually doesn't do in a genetic sense. So it was kind of like genetic engineering. And he leaves the article and saying, well, you're 82, but we don't know the effect of your uh, harangues and threats about get mandatory mRNA vaccinations. And it's kind of a really scary story. Right. And I know that you and I think I've had the two vaccinations. And I think the last one was in... March of 2021, and sure enough, I got uh, a Delta COVID in September of that year at Hillsdale, and then everybody said where I work, you've got to have the booster. Are you going to get tested? And I did not do the booster. I really regretted because the second Moderna, I got very ill. And then they said, well, you're going to, you know, you're going to get COVID. I got COVID on, you know, in late April and I had it for non-COVID for nine months. And I don't know to this day whether the vaccination, right. particular immune systems like myself, I have a little immune problem pre-existing, but it, it, it was the vaccination or I, I just got, I would have gotten COVID well, twice. Victor, anyway. may I, uh, this is a little personal, but yeah. do you think uh, the, the, the long COVID in certain cases, and maybe even your case, because you're, you're not telling anyone what we discussed ahead of time. You got certain things that are happening to you that don't necessarily happen because old old age. It's not arthritis. Yes. It's not you know. And I wonder if long COVID is really just really permanent COVID in, in, in a in a low grade but never going away way. Well, I read your about experience. it every day. I'm on come newsletter that people send me, and it's documented that. Long COVID is the inability of the immune system to shut off. So when you get long COVID, you feel like you have the flu. You ache, you're dizzy, you get mild fever sometimes. You still don't smell very well or taste very well. You've got weird things happen like neuroinflammation. For me, it was high eye pressure and some hearing loss, sinus pain, uh, and neuropathy really bad neuropathy in your feet and muscle aches in your thighs anyway. And there's, there's documentation and, and not just speculation that the symptoms are caused by the immune system. So one of the symptoms is called by microclotting in the limbs that you get, you know, your blood does not circulate. It deprives oxygen to the mitochondria and you get achy when you exercise or you're exhausted uh, because you're at the cellular level, because your immune system is not giving the necessary nutrients and oxygen to it. And there's another theory um, that you're not quite able to wipe out the virus. And so there's elements within your gut or your brain where, or your lungs where it retreats to. And then your immune system just says, you know what, I've got 98% of it, but I'm going to go crazy to get that last 
that last 1 million vira or 1 billion or whatever. And that keeps making you sick. And then there's another version that says, you know, some of, we all have had mono or we've had like CMV virus. So maybe it reactivates the virus, but whatever the exegesis is, it's pretty clear. It's an autoimmune response. And a lot of people, I mean, I, I've, right. I had post-viral fatigue with mono and measles. I've had that in my life, but, and I've had a problem with mastocytosis. So I understand that, but, uh, the, the $64,000 question is the number of people, this is what I'm getting at. The number of people who have long COVID after a bout with COVID right. is much greater percentage than the people who have year-long fatigue, multi-month fatigue after the flu or right. after a respiratory virus. And that's what people are wondering about. And there are people that have had long COVID that have not been vaccinated. Let me be clear about that. And there are studies in Israel that say that if you get vaccinated, your chances of getting long COVID will be less or will be attenuated. But that's controversial. So we don't know what why one person gets long COVID and the other. There's right. a study out yesterday that I think Harvard did, and it said, these are the seven things that will prevent you from getting long COVID. And it was banal. It was, if you're fat, Right. If you drank, if you smoke, if you don't exercise, yes, that is probably true on average. But, you know, the people that I have communicated who have called me or written me, they all tend to have one thing in common. They're hyper athletes. They're 30 to 50. They're a type, you know, on the go. And there have been studies immunologically that suggest that a person's personality or energy level has something to do with the sensitivity of their immune systems. And that people, this is not a disease of overweight, tired people. Uh, a man, I, I, right. can, I can give you the names of 20 people I've met who've had it and they're in their 60s. And uh, excuse me, who haven't ha who have had COVID and they're obese, they're drinkers, they're small, and they don't get it. Maybe some do. I don't know. But my point is, it, it affects everybody depending on your immune profile right. and what you how you react to it. I know that when I had Delta, I, I just got it on a Friday night and I went to bed Friday night, Saturday, all day, Sunday, all day. I was well by Monday. And when I got Omicron, I did that for three or four days. And then I got up and said, this is ridiculous. I cannot cancel right. a trip to Israel. I cannot cancel a graduation speech on these. And I just went for the next five months, 24-7. And I think it probably, if it was true, your immune system was saying to you, I'm going to go kill every spike protein in your body, no matter what you do. But if you're going to not rest and you're not going to sleep and you're going to be on the go, then... I got to take some energy from you <laughs> to go yeah. on my my insane nihilistic suicidal quest to kill the mysterious spike protein. Hey, Victor, I've seen a few um, th th lists on Twitter that say, what are the things that, you know, have pissed you off most about the lies about COVID and that masks will work and, uh, you know, a host, whole host of things. But the one thing we know for certain um, is not about, you know, anything medical is the 
what the claim by Fauci and others that this is guaranteed to work. This is going to be the cure. Joe Biden and, said he said flat out, I'm quoting him verbatim. He said, if you get the vaccination, you're not going to get COVID. He didn't say you're not going to get a bad case. He said you're not going to get COVID. He got COVID. Right. So that was everything about it was a lie. Everything. I mean, natural immunity was superior to the Moderna and Pfizer vaccinations. If you early on got a bad case of COVID, you... We're not going to get a COVID within three to six to eight months and pretty much maybe in some cases a year. But very quickly after the after we had 96 percent within two months, it was down, down, down. And in my case, six months after getting the NRA, I got Delta. And and that was earlier for some people. Some people got the the Moderna and Pfizer and got the Delta variant like a, three weeks later. Another thing they didn't tell us, which is true of a lot of vaccinations, is that after the initial vaccination, the immune response in a lot of different people, not everybody, but it lowers the white blood count as the white as the body has to adjust and is under duress to, you know, create immunity. There will be doctors who will tell you, immunologists, if you get a flu shot or you get a uh, Moderna or Pfizer Corona for the for a few days after that, you're going to be more, not less vulnerable. And coupled with the idea that psychologically, you're going to think, oh, I went to Walgreens. I got my shot. I'm going to go to a party tonight. Um, right. No, it's not just that it takes a while to develop the immunity 10 days or two weeks. But more importantly, it makes you vulnerable while you're that's why everybody when they got a flu shot, they would say, I'm not going to get another flu shot. I got a flu shot and it gave me the flu. No, it didn't give you the flu. The flu was dead. What it did do is lower your immune system. And then you thought you could go out and expose yourself and you were very vulnerable. And I I called up a a friend who was a doctor and I said, I just got a flu shot and I had my annual exam and I had really low white blood count. And this old guy said, yeah, yeah. So take it again in a month and take it in the afternoon and have a hamburger before you take it. And I thought it was kind of crazy. And I went and looked on the Internet and it's all these esoteric studies, you know, taking it in the afternoon, eating before, just like with cholesterol and stuff. It, it does affect the results. And I took it again. It was normal. Oh. So and <laughs> anyway, all these things what I'm getting at is. It's all out there, this 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 uh, complex science. But when you have one person say, screw Bacchiaria, screw Scott Atlas, screw Unity, screw uh, Stephen Quay, screw all of these people. I am the science. I am the science. Screw, right. screw the yes. Great Barrington people. And I mm-hmm. know exactly. And I'm swearing to you that natural immunity is not as effective as my NRA uh, NRA vaccines. And I will guarantee you, if you get vaccinated and we get the whole country vaccinated, uh, we'll be protected. In fact, it was worse than that, Jack, because he, he initially said, don't worry about other people. Just get vaccinated. Then they can't hurt you. Right. 
your bubble. It's your bubble. I wonder if there's been a worse person, more consequentially damaging person in American history, you know, who I don't think so. I don't think so. For this reason, we're talking about his misinformation. But that's only half of the equation. The other half of the equation, we don't know yet. We won't know for years until he's out of the question. He doesn't have any more influence until he's fully retired and is impotent. But my point is, he was the one who steered money to Echo Health, Peter Dasek, to enhance gain-of-function research in the Wuhan lab that he knew was controlled by the Chinese government, which he must have known was controlled by the Chinese military, which he must have known was illegal in the United States or he wouldn't steer the money there. And if that's true, and these people were in gauge and gain of function research and Fauci knew it. And you look at that troll of emails right after the exposure of the COVID and the panic that Francis Collins and Co- and Fauci convey to one another and to others. If that is all true, then he is in some way a partial architect of this of this virus. Right. I mean, indirectly, he's he's got some culpability of birthing it. I think about that once in a while, you know, there were some days in July and August I would get up and I couldn't walk across the, uh, I couldn't go out to the mailbox. I couldn't walk across the room. Yeah. Or I would think, can I just sleep two nights, two hours tonight? And wow, my tongue is bright yellow. I can't smell a thing. I can't taste a thing. Oh, when did I get 30 eye pressure? When All these bizarre things. I kept thinking of Anthony Fauci. Right. Where did this virus come from, this bizarre it's almost to me, I felt like a bioweapon. I was a target. But where did this all come from? And why would he be so cavalier with the health of his fellow citizens to even, even, yes, imagine, even contemplate subsidizing gain of function under communist Chinese auspices? That makes no sense. While you forbidden any, to do such. <laughs> I can get out right, I could go right outside this farm in one second and flag down a person without a high school degree and say, I'm going to ask you something. Do you think the United States, for the purposes of medical research, should give money to the Chinese communist government that oversees a bio lab and and experiment with enhancing the efficacy and dangers of viruses? And he'd say, are you crazy? Right. Right. You know, Victor, I get my nose rubbed in it a little more. Um, as you know, I went to, to the same high school as Fauci went and graduated from Holy Cross where he went. And, you know, I would say a majority of the uh, of the uh, well b- b- alumni who you see in social media. Oh, my gosh. They still genuflect before him. And even at Holy Cross, they he's a uh, I think two years ago. Yeah. They, they named the Science Center after him. I'm like, OK, well, you know, let's have the Margaret Sanger church then, too, you know what? while we're at it. If, if you had if if you had taken Trump out of the equation. And he had said what he did and Biden was president the whole time, he would not be an icon. His whole iconic rise was the antith- was seen as the left as the antithesis of Trump. Right. And he played on that. And he communicated every day with MSNBC and CNN and NPR and PBS. And he developed that persona as I'm the voice of reason and you guys hate Trump. And therefore, you should hope that I'm saving you from COVID. 
And that's that he carved that that persona completely on the on the message that he was not Donald Trump. And he really fooled Donald Trump because Donald Trump let him go. And, and, you know, and and when they brought Atlas in and Atlas basically said, no, masks are not going to stop you. Maybe if you're spitting or coughing, but just no, wearing a mask in a car is not very wise. No, children six, five to 18 they're going to be destroyed if you shut down the schools because they're not going to get COVID very often. If they do, it's not going to do much. And you know what? Shotgun approach to this thing is crazy. You should just concentrate on the vulnerable, the overweight, the compromised, the elderly. Don't let anybody near them, Andrew Cuomo. Don't do it. And basically social distancing, maybe, maybe not of marginal value. Vaccination, yes, get them. But don't think that they're going to be permanent protections they'll they'll give you a slight increase if they're safe so he was for vaccinations and out of that he was created into a frankensteinian monster by fauci and the left it's just incredible because he he supported donald trump i guess i don't know what what else they tried to destroy him and they (laughs) destroyed jay bacharya i watched it the reason i'm kind of dwelling and fixated i watched this firsthand when right. on the Stanford campus, I watched it, how they went after them. Right. And, and Jay had had done a study, right, of some local community that was quite disproving of of many of the uh, the uh, leftist, uh, well, whatever they, 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 they principles. But they, they, they personally ahead. caricatured them. So they never read what they wrote. Yeah. Jay didn't say this. He never said, nor did Scott, that COVID wasn't could be a deadly disease to some people. That was precisely what they were saying by not concentrating on the people who would die from this bizarre disease. You were wasting your resources and destroying lives to a much greater degree than the virus. So what he was warning, you shut down the entire school system and right. you're going to destroy people's education for years. You destroy the whole medical procedures, operations, uh, appointments so that people are not getting pap smears and PSA tests and cardio, echocardiogram. You're going to get, you're going to kill a lot of people. You lock up people in an apartment in a big city and they can't go out. You're going to get spousal abuse, familial abuse, alcohol abuse, suicides, drug abuse. And you let them out, they're going to, you know, I think a lot of that May May and June rioting, not all of it, but was something that that initial spurt of violence was just unleashing people. Release, yeah, right. After after they'd been cooped up. So there was so so much damage that we did. And, you know, if we had followed the Swedish model, we would probably may or may not have more deaths, but we wouldn't have destroyed the country. Like, I don't think we've ever recovered from it. I really don't. Yeah. Yeah. We will we'll be reaping the uh, rewards of this for for generations. The George Floyd uh, rioting and the woke and the COVID lockdown were hand in glove. That was a one, two blow to the body politic of the United States. Well, Victor, bad things happened back in 1945. It was the final day of the Alta Conference, and uh, you are a military historian. And we'd like to get in a few minutes your thoughts on on the Alta Conference and why it was 
truly um, malicious and consequential and maybe some lessons to be learned from it as we deal now with a different uh, Chinese communist as opposed to Stalin. But we'll get we'll get your thoughts on this, Victor, right after this final important message. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. back with the Victor Davis Hansen show. So Victor, yeah, the anniversary of Yalta, the Western leaders there was still Roosevelt who would die shortly thereafter. And Churchill seemed to have some gullibility related to Joe Stalin and uh, proved out by you know, events in the next few years with, with um, Eastern Europe becoming communist. And we still have gullible politicians, I believe when it comes to red China, Anyway, that's my deduction of what, what lesson is to be learned from, from Yalta. But Victor, put on your historian's cap, please, and give us some of your thoughts of, of Yalta and, and its particular um, bad consequences for uh, the West. Well, Yalta was supposed to be this conference in the Soviet Union that was, as victory seemed near, and it was, I mean, Germany was surrender in May, and this was, as you said, second week in February, they were going to plan the post-war world, what to do with it. And they had problems. So you had a parliamentary monarchy uh, in Britain. You had a democracy, constitutional republic, United States, and you had this communist totalitarian system. So there was a lot of tension. And so the result of it was that as the Soviet Union recovered, from the invasion and after Stalingrad and Kursk in 44, it just was a steamroller. They gave us no credit, but by 40, by August of 44, after losing 20,000, 30, maybe 35,000 pilots and the British comparable number, we mastered strategic bombing and we devastated the German economy. And day by day, uh, U.S production was ramped up. We, By the end of 45, we were producing more GDP than everybody put, to get, put together. And so Stalin never gave us credit. We never pushed credit. We were giving him 400,000 trucks, 20% uh, of his aluminum, 30% of his aviation fuel. So the Red Army, after suffering 9 million dead, and maybe the Russians had already suffered maybe 9 million civilians, it was a juggernaut. So they and there were certain conditions that Yalta it had to be in the Soviet Union. He would come to Potsdam later in German East, what is now East Germany, but I mean what was then East Germany outside of Berlin. But 
he had conditions. Okay, so what was the result of it? The result of it was his guarantees that there would be democratically uh, conducted elections in Poland, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Romania, Albania, Bulgaria, Eastern Europe were all completely, you know, not honored. And they were all absorbed by the Soviet Union occupation. And after the Lialta, people said, what was Churchill and particularly Roosevelt thinking? And they said that because Churchill and and people, we don't think that about Churchill. He was such a wonderful statesman, but he did say things that, you know, Chamberlain said that he couldn't trust Hitler, but I don't think that's quite true about Stalin. And so he, he was wrong. I mean, he was right in the fifties about Stalin. And moreover, he, as a, classics person was obsessed with saving Greece and Turkey. And so he cut, there was the beginning of a formulation that certain things that were dear to the heart of the West, i.e. Austria, Finland, areas, Greece, and lesser to a lesser extent, Turkey was more strategically located. The deal was, I don't know if it was done on a napkin, but Austria wouldn't be in NATO, which would become NATO, wasn't in existence yet. It wouldn't be in either camp, and Finland would not be in either camp. These would be reified later with other agreements, but they were discussed. And Greece and Turkey would be in the Western Bloc. And then there was this idea that all of Europe in, to the West i.e. under the occupation of Britain and the United States and what was the recreated France would be free. They would have elections and the Soviet Union would do the same under the Europe that was under its. But it was doomed from the start because Stalin had 400 divisions and we had about 100. And so we were outnumbered by a magnitude of over three, you know, and we didn't have the wherewithal to go in to Eastern Europe and kicked the, the Soviets out. It had lost 10 million people. We were its biggest supplier. We weren't going to suddenly cut off their supplies. And so it was naive that we had the wherewithal, so they trusted. And then even if we they didn't have the margins that they did in power, Franklin Roosevelt was ill. It was February. He was going to die in April, the end of March, actually. He was very, very ill. And he should not have been there because he was sort of like Biden is now. His blood pressure was over 240. He may have had urinary infections, skin cancers. We don't know what he had uh, on top of his uh, polio or post-polio paralysis, if that was the cause of it. And so what I'm getting at is that we had a weak leader and he had a very naive view of Stalin. So he said, that you know, the Churchill let me talk. Uncle Joe hates you, but he likes me. He hates the British Empire, but we've never had an empire. So there was a very naive idea that Stalin uh, appreciated our magnanimity and Marshall Plan. I mean, what? Un, excuse me, Lynn Lee's accepted. He didn't. He didn't. And we had people like Alger Hiss and, and people in the State Department that were very sympathetic to communism that were there. So we had a weak leader. Churchill at this point was supplying about 15 to 20% of the total manpower in Europe on the, from the D-Day onward into Germany. 
and probably 40, 38 to 35% of the bombing capability. So the Americans were starting to tell the British, wait a minute, we have three or four times the men on the ground than you do, and we're supplying you with money and arms, so we're going to take a dominant role. But Churchill was, for all of his naivete about Stalin, it paled in comparison to Roosevelt. So when they got to Yalta, they made a lot of strategic errors. I know a lot of people defend the Yalta Agreement, but they if you think that the way to prevent war would be to uh, have democratic elections in Eastern Europe, then it failed. There, there was doomed because right. there was no me- mechanism. The second thing is, it, for some reason, um, they believed in February we were coming up on ek- Okinawa and uh, in April and Iwo Jima, and they had just gone through this island hopping and this nightmare in the Philippines, and they were looking at a nineteen uh, November nineteen forty five invasion of Japan, and uh, they were looking at a November, uh, excuse me, March of 1946 completion. Uh, And so they thought, you know what, it's our statistics suggest maybe we're going to have a million, a million um, casualties. So the Soviet Union's got 400 divisions and they have a non-aggression pact. And we were kind of angry at that because you know, supply ships were leaving the West Coast from Portland, Seattle, Oakland, and going right through war zones of the Pacific with Soviet flags on American goods, and the Japanese didn't touch them while they were killing us. So the point I'm making is one of the chief purposes of Yalta was get to get Stalin to sign on to go attack Japan. And he said, not until Europe is over. So he never did anything to help us in the Pacific. People should remember right. that. Did and actually, was there, did a Soviet plane ever drop a bomb on Japan? I'm wondering, no. did they literally do nothing? Okay. Okay. What they did do was they had a non-aggression pact in April of 41. With And they kind of paid, that was tit for tat for Hitler's non-aggression pact, which they felt had stabbed them in the back when they were fighting the Soviets in Manchuria in 1939, and they heard on August 23rd that Hitler, with a Molotov-Ribbentrop pact, had signed a deal with Stalin. And they got really angry, of course, because Stalin didn't have to worry about its Western flank. So they did the same thing in April, right on the eve of the Germans going into Russia. They just and At first, the Germans loved that because they thought they would clean up on their own. They didn't want the other what they called, you know, scavengers. But very soon, by December, they rued that, and Japan honored it to the T, and so did the Soviet Union. Remember about the Soviet Union? They honored every agreement they ever signed with our enemies, and they broke every one that they signed right. with us. Yeah. And so that was a, a very foolish, I guess, I, I, you know, and we didn't know, but that was sort of a very... Uh, foolish thing because this thing was in February and we dropped that first bomb in July 16th. We didn't know it was going to work, but you can make the argument. Well, that, when, well, well let, let me ask you about that. When was the bomb actually tested? Do you know? Was yes. It- yes. It was tested on, let me think a minute, uh, July 16th of 1945 in Alamogordo, Mexi- New Mexico. And okay. it worked. 
and it was a it, and it was a uranium bomb. They were not sure that the plutonium the plutonium bomb would work. Fat boy, okay. Uh, I mean, fat man. Excuse me, little boy and fat. They didn't know that the Nagasaki bomb was going to work, but they did know that the line of research that gave us Hiroshima and the July sixteenth test that was the only test. But the point is, by February they had it all down. So, and more importantly, that was right about the time that LeMay was starting to recalibrate the B-29 fire rates. I mean, they hadn't started. Right. And he was starting to think, this is not working. And so on March 9th, which is only 28 days later, they burned down three quarters of the urban quarter of Japan. And the next 90 days, they destroyed 75% of the urban core. So very quickly, they had signed over Eastern Europe on the proviso that Stalin would help them diminish casualties against Japan. Right. And what it, but by the time of the, uh, the surrender of Germany, people said, oh my God, we invited the Soviet Union in to go into Asia. It's got a common border with Korea. It's going to, it's going to go into Manchuria. It's going to take the Sakhalin Islands. It's going to carve up the carcass of Japan. And we're not going to have to, to invade it. We just dropped a bomb in July. It right. worked. LeMay is burning down the entire uh, urban core of Japan. It has no production anymore. We've mined all of its harbors. And here's going to be this huge Soviet Union that's going to come in. And what did they do? They occupied half of Korea. They off, They went in and made sure that Mao was going to take over China. And it was a disaster. And that's yeah, I know that a lot of people on the left try to defend it, but uh, we did a little. I mean, when Truman came in at Potsdam after the war, that was July to August of 19, uh, excuse me, after the end of the um, European war, he was a little bit, not much. It took him a while to to wise up to spot, but he was at least hale and he understood communism in a much better way that um Right. Than Roosevelt did. But yeah, Yalta's, I mean, it's, it's epic. <laughs> yeah, it's got this, it's, uh, it's, it was a disaster. And we know that they were spying the entire time. We know that Roosevelt was very ill. We know that, um, that every, that this idea that, I mean, it just seems, incredible that you would trust the Soviet Union that killed 20 million of its own people yeah. to ensure so, the integrity. Of, and then Potsdam was in July and August of that same year after Germany surrendered. And that was to divide up formally these zones that had been outlined at Yalta. And we were, nothing mistake, Roosevelt hated de Gaulle. And so that was, wasn't going to have de Gaulle sit in there. And then, right. They wanted to give a zone. But the point was, for all the troublesomeness of de Gaulle and all of the narcissist egotism of Gazal and the French Chauvin, they were our allies and they were very valuable. We should have had a solidarity between all of us. We did later but under Truman, but there was a lot of tension between Roosevelt and Churchill. And Churchill was trying to convince him to bring in de Gaulle and an independent France as equals, and they didn't want to do that. And Stalin was 
was picking, was trying to divide us. So you should yeah, not have somebody. I, I think you could make the argument that at Yalta, Roosevelt was more enfeebled than Joe Biden is now. Wow. Well, that's. Um, it would be as if you were going to have a peace treaty with Ukraine. And right. We, Biden went over there. And, to negotiate it. Yes. And, <laughs> yeah. and our British and European and NATO allies all uh, deferred to Biden. Yeah, it's and kind of Biden, frightening. And Biden was being advised by some pretty hardcore leftists uh, mm. that he is now. And then yeah. he was dealing with a guy like Putin. And that's what Stalin was. And so what would, what could come out of it? Scary. Yeah. Hey, Victor, we're, we're almost out of time here. So... Um... Have to have to do what we do at the end of the podcast. Thanks, by the way, for for your your thoughts there on Yalta. I really appreciate it. I'm sure our listeners do too. And uh, hey, we appreciate our listeners no matter what platform they listen to this podcast on Google Play, Stitcher, whatever, iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Those listeners can leave uh, five star. Reviews. Well, they can leave zero stars reviews if they want, but the vast majority leave five star reviews and some leave comments. We do read them. And here's one from um, Ben Kerman. He writes, it's titled Always Waiting for the Next Victor Davis Hansen Interview. I operate my wife's 100 plus year old fa- family farm, I often listen to podcasts while I'm operating equipment. The Victor Davis Hanson podcast is my number one go-to. I truly enjoy hearing Mr. Hanson's view of the various topics concerning our society these days. I also share Mr. Hanson's appreciation of the challenges farmers face, especially in California. If uh, Mr. Hanson ever finds himself in the uh, northern part of the state, he is definitely welcome at our table. Thank you for your words of logic during these illogical times. Sincerely, Ben Kerman, thank you, Ben, and thank everyone else. And I, I especially, by the way, Victor, I want to thank those uh, folks who, who uh, sign up for the little weekly email newsletter I write uh, for the Center for Civil Society at uh, Amphil. It's called Civil Thoughts. And if you go to civilthoughts.com, sign up. It's free. I think you'll like it. I know you'll like it. I also want to say one other thing, Victor, since it's coming out on Valentine's Day, this will be the 42nd anniversary of my first date with Mrs. Fowler and the 37th anniversary of the day she made the big mistake of uh, walking down the aisle. And well, given, that you're only, given that you're only 50, you, did you get married at eight or nine? I did get married when I was 20. <laughs> How old was I? I was 25. So yeah. anyway, uh, th- thanks to all. Hey, uh, happy Valentine's day to all our listeners we love you and thanks victor for all your wisdom and we'll be back soon with another episode of the victor davis hansen show bye-bye thank you everybody for listening 